Yes. Go yes. On. What? Go on. What? Where are we? What are we going to rant about now? Go on. It's the apocalypse. What apocalypse? It's the apocalypse. That's what the media is saying all last week. The apocalypse. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how, like, after 20 years of us kind of using the term to try and, you know, alarm, alert people, not alarm them, not necessarily, but alert people to, you know, there's a lot of problems coming down the pipe, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, problems are here for sure but they're pretty they're pretty easy you know with their use of the word apocalypse so last week in the, uh, the UK headline on the BBC the impartial BBC heatwave apocalypse yeah what a pandemic the new pandemic monkeypox pandemic declared I mean I I don't know what what are they hoping to achieve here? Like to to alert people to the same things that we were trying to alert them to? No, clearly not. It's it's a weird subversion of like the use of words. It's just mangling of everything. It's yeah, it's the same. Um, they use the same justification. I mean, it's this perennial question we have: is is the media um, lying? Um, deliberately, consciously, members of the media and governments, are they deliberately lying or in the sense of malevolent, let's lie to people and tell them uh, tell them lies basically about what's actually happening. Let's misrepresent uh, the causes of what's happening and the causes of what's happening or do they have a narrative that's uh, <clears throat> you know, perennial, perpetual, time-honoured, age-old question maybe mm. that has always troubled people as to whether people are in authority are actually lying to them on purpose or whether they're actually um, uh, they have some kind of a for the greater good narrative that they're well intended but just misguided. I think it's that. <clears throat> the noble lie. Yeah. Um, um, in this case the only thing I can think of is that it's the same as the, the COVID uh, business. You know, it's, um, There's a lot of twisting, distorting of uh, the facts around you know what happened over the past couple of years with COVID, um, and of course uh, uh, more recently to do with vaccines against COVID, and the narrative I would imagine is that well, listen, um, yes, you know the truth. The way we present the truth is not the whole truth. It's not all the data. Sure, we're massaging the facts a little bit in this in a certain direction, but it's the it's to keep um, keep people on song, keep them uh, keep them supportive uh, of the science and of vaccinations, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, going forward. Because it would be very bad if people lost trust in science and if people trust lost, lost trust, particularly in medical science um, and in vaccinations, <clears throat> because vaccinations have done so much good over <clears throat> a long period of time. <clears throat> Sorry, and. Um, and and we need to we need to clamp down, and, that, and that's their justification for clamping down on anti-vaxxers for coining the term, I suppose quite a long time ago, anti-vaxxers as a kind of slur, and to clamp clamp down on that because in their minds it's for the greater good. Yeah, so it's hard to it's hard to tease it out. It's hard to pick it out to uh, pick out the actual truth, what's actually true, uh, and what's actually false, and well, because more often it's a kind of mix of both, uh, which you know. Is well known as being something uh, that's much more effective if you if you want to get your message across. It's better to not tell a straight up mistruth or a straight up 
exaggeration, you know, or blatant exaggeration, but rather uh, tell the truth and mix it in with a little bit of uh, uh, mix in a little bit of massaging of the facts in the direction you want it to go, type thing. Mm. You know, because so people have that bit of truth or something that sounds right to anchor to, and then they'll yeah. they'll go along with it. You know, so I'm trying to stay away from the idea of, of deliberate conscious malevolence in in terms of uh, a lot of these things. Yeah. You know. Because I think that is those events like that are or situations like that are few and far between, yeah. Um, where people are consciously lying again, it's it's very subtle. It's like people can be lying mm-hmm. again. I'm not saying people don't lie. Like I mean, you had Mike, Mike Pompeo uh, last year, or maybe it was last year, or the year before. Anyway, talking uh, an interview about uh, West Point, where uh, graduate from West Point, which is a you know a, a clearinghouse very often for intelligence agencies, including the CIA for recruits for the CIA. <clears throat> he stated that. Um, that when he was at West Point, uh, he was teaching at West Point, I think he was told there, uh, or he told the recruits that uh, the three tenets are we lie, we cheat, and we steal. That That's basically what we do. We lie, cheat, and steal. Now, of course, it's for the greater good, right? Yeah. That, so, a, that was a soundbite that went viral, but... Yeah. The context of it, The yeah. full fleshing out of it, he probably would have said, well, of course, that's not just for evil's sake. It's because <clears> we have yeah. noble ideas for the US and... The rules-based international order, yeah. as they call it. You had the former head of the CIA uh, a couple of years ago saying that they, uh, of course, they had, he was on Fox News talking to Laura Ingram. Laura Ingram. Ingram saying, yeah, that, of course, Wolsey saying, of course, we, uh, you know, you know we've, cr- we've carried out coups in, in, other, in other countries. Um, but it was always for for good, basically. Those were coups that were, careful. and we overthrew, for, he didn't. Deny that they overthrew a democratically elected government, but it was for the greater good. Again, that's an example of something that appears to be uh, wrong, immoral, being presented as something that. So it's it's complicated, you know. And people tend to go black and white on these kind of things and say it's either it's either true or false, it's good or bad, you know. But that's not how most people live their lives, and especially people in position to power, they have narratives and they have. You got to break a few eggs to make an omelette, blah blah blah. It's all for the greater good, blah blah. And I know someone recently talked also about a coup. Um, who was that? Um, Walrus face. Uh, yeah, John Bolton. John Bolton uh, said that he knows uh, how to carry out a coup, and he was referring to what was he referring to the coup? He was saying that he was referring to. Uh, it was discussing oh, Trump, Trump, right? He was saying Trump did not try 6th, to. Trump did you know, not try so he to was have defending it. Trump. Yes, this wasn't a coup. He was yeah. defending him. Yeah. yeah. He said, well, he was defending him in the sense of saying he's too incompetent. Yes, he, he wouldn't. He, he was, wouldn't be smart yeah. enough to carry out an actual coup. Right. He says, I've carried out. Plan- I've been involved in the, in the in the in the commission of coups, let's say, or in the carrying out of, uh, of of coups, and it takes a lot of work. You know what I mean? It's it's not just you know it's not something you just breeze into and overthrow a government. You got to plan it, and it's got to be detailed. You know. So Trump couldn't have done that. So it's silly to say that he was planning a coup on September sixth. So uh, yeah. So getting back to the point, yeah, <clears throat> I think the. Um, the, the narrative is the reason you have this kind of hysteria in the media uh, around global warming over the past couple of weeks because there's a heat wave. There's a heat wave in America right now in different places. There's been a heat wave in France. There's been a heat wave in different parts of Europe. He, a couple of days of a heat wave in the UK, a couple of days literally of a heat wave mm. in the UK. Uh, and the media, yeah, was going apocalyptic, kind of like you were saying, it's apocalypse. And why are they doing that? Well, that's why I, I mentioned the fact that it's kind of like COVID. They, they, they think that it's... It's justified, morally justified, to exaggerate a situation in order to get people motivated to do something about yeah. it. Like, you know, uh, there's danger. Danger's approaching and people are apathetic. 
So you have to scream bloody murder from the rooftops in order to get people to move. That's how they explain it to themselves, of course. Mm-hmm. That's got nothing to do with whether or not what they're actually saying is true or not, whether the foundation behind or the ideas behind or the, the science behind global warming or anthropogenic hum, uh, global warming is actually true or not. That's irrelevant in a certain sense because that's already been assumed to be true and therefore you run with it. So it's not that we're uh, necessarily calling them out as liars or exposing these people who promote these things as conscious liars. Our problem is the assumptions on which they are making these, ex- these, for them, justified, exaggerate, justifiably exaggerated sta- statements. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the assumptions on which they're, they're making those, the, the baseline beliefs that they have, you know. Uh, I think that was true for COVID um, as well. Like I just mentioned about vaccinations, you got to, you know, you got to massage the data, you got to uh, clamp down hard on anti-vaxxers or anybody saying anything's, anything Counter current counter narrative to the official statement on COVID and on vaccines. You got to shut them up because that can lead us uh, uh, very quickly to a situation where we have a lot of people who distrust science, distrust medical science. Terrible situation. We got to so anything's allowed to stop that from happening. Yeah. Almost anything is allowed to stop that happening. Same with global warming, including tactics they later acknowledged were, were terroristic, terrifying the population. Yes, because yes. as they revealed, you know, openly admitted, were afraid. That the population is too complacent. Right. How do you then do you terrify course, these people in, into in expl- action? Yeah. And then later they had to retract, you know, they, they real, it went too far. People, mm. people <laughs> became too mm. strict with the rules, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and again, but then again, the question there is um, the underlying assumptions or beliefs that these people have uh, that justify or, uh, you know, they justify. Yeah. Uh, uh, how they used to justify them taking these kind of punitive, extreme, threatening, aggressive, terrifying, scary, sc- scaremongering uh, uh, measures against the population. What's your base? Okay, that's your justification. You have a justification for that, but what's that based on? It's based on, for example, like with COVID, it would be based on uh, Neil Ferguson's uh, models that were used by in, in the UK and in Europe and, and in the US, uh, where they were wildly uh, out of sync with actual reality. Now, this is from a guy as well who, uh, I think his colleagues called him the, mas- the, the, the master of destruction or something like that, uh, basically because his, his modelling, going back for most of his career, was absolutely terrible. It was wildly, uh-huh. wildly, wildly wrong. Uh, he as had, far he, back as like fucking he did mouth. Ma- he did mad cow disease, foot yeah. and mouth disease, yeah. He did uh, bird flu. On which they culled millions of cattle yeah, in exactly. the early 2000s. So this is a guy who his pop- model. Right. So you're a guy with a proven track record of, of really wrong modeling of certain situations and you pull him in for COVID and he says, you know, 300,000 or half a million people in the UK, 2 million people will die uh, in the US uh, and then you run with that. You, you do your lockdowns, your extreme measures, all of your messaging, all your behavioral scientist stuff on the population and it turns out to be false. Well, duh, he made loads of mistakes in the past. Why would that not have been factored into to the situation? Yeah. He may well believe what he's saying, but of course, he has a track record where his what he's saying doesn't well, his, fit with the facts. Well, his out, at least in the terms of COVID, was that he he had a he had a range from very low to very high. Now, of course, people only talked about the very high because so you're saying so people. He says, "Look, based on my models, you know, two people could die, or half a million people could die if you do nothing." And they say, "Well, the two's irrelevant. Half a million? Talk to me about half a million." Really? I mean, 
so the whole the whole science, let's say, of, of, of modeling and statistics in that sense is, is, is just has a big, big problem with it. Because if you say something like that to the population or to the government, obviously anybody's going to go, well, give me a worst-case scenario. And then we're going to go with the worst-case scenario. So anyway, uh, yeah, but wildfires in France, yeah, it's, it's apocalypse. We're all going to burn to death. Um, of course, nobody officially said it, but it was all down to global warming, right? There were fires in the UK. Oh, oh, houses no, burned oh, in the oh, UK. Oh, How, they said it. No, well, obviously they're not saying that the house combusted, which is yeah. why they drew a lot of criticism. I mean, there's houses in the UK alongside, you know, in, in a rural area, let's say, and, and several of them burned down. Uh, and it was happened a, over a, a two-day heat wave when the temperatures reached, you know, in certain parts of the UK, up to 38, 39, 40 degrees, but only in a few places, you know, but they're in the high 30s in a lot of places. That's not that unusual for the UK. Maybe a, a record was broken, but by a couple of degrees. It's happened before. Generally speaking, houses don't combust at 38 to 40 degrees Celsius. Uh, how, so how is this a global warming? How are those how, how are those how are those dramatic images of houses being burned down directly linked to the heat wave? They reported that the fires would start in grassland nearby right. or in uh, yard backyards or something like that and then spread through building and how uh, do, residential areas. And how do... How do uh, they said for, 41, 41 homes or, and or shops around London were torched. Right. <laughs> and they start by the sun? Or, or what, the, the sun ignites grass in a back garden? Something starts, well, I guess, I presume that they're, they're saying something accidentally starts it, but... And it's directly spark, related to global warming? No, but they're going to say that the ground was particularly parched, mm. like tinder, mm. all it needed was a match. Mm. Accidentally. Yeah. They presume. Or all it needs is one of these. Throw one up there, Damien. One of those. Ah. That's a Tesla. Electric car sparked a huge wildfire in France. That's last week. Uh, interesting. Because I, I heard that that was fact-checked and someone posted a photo of an old banger and they said, no, 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 it was a regular diesel car but it had an electrical fault. That's, that's, a, that's a counter. That's a Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, well, are you, are you sure that photo is what started it? Because there, those firefighters arrived at the scene yeah. of the burning car. I don't think the land has caught fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that might—I don't know if that's exact, but that was the, that was the official report. It was—it was suspected. I mean, I didn't look, I didn't—I didn't see any follow-up on it. But the report was initially that uh, that's what happened. Then there's got uh, this. Suspect in huge French forest fire questioned over arson in 2012. Uh, so the conclusion here is, at least based on, on these on these articles, is that um, if you look at them, um, it is man-made. Not global warming, but man-made fo- forest fires. Um, there's another one from... This, this, this one's from the UK. Um... This is last week. Okay, police say wildfires that tore through UK on hottest day may have been arson. Right. May have been. Well, they're suggesting it there. I have another local report um, 
uh, a specific fire. Huge Scunthorpe fire blaze was deliberate, says fire service. So they were sure. Mm-hmm. So that headline saying, well, yeah, maybe, but um, at least one of them was definitely arson. Yeah. Um, this one, a beggar's belief, police and fire slam arsonists after four fires in idyllic Saddleworth Moors in the UK. Um, again, um, and this one, this next one from... Um, this one was about Spain. Uh, so it's been, you know, we've had fires France, UK, Spain. Well, UK didn't have much in the way of fires. The real fires have been in France and Spain and in Portugal a little bit, like serious forest fires. There's been no serious fires to that extent. But this one, uh, a Dutch reforestation company is responsible for a massive forest fire in Spain. Huh. A Dutch, re- Dutch company caused a massive forest fire near Saragossa in Spain. The fire started on Monday when a spark jumped from an excavator. Okay, uh, accidental though. Yeah, but the, the irony is rich, though, isn't it? A Dutch reforestation yeah. company to probably save the planet, um, climate change, you know, uh, policy started a fire. Um, I don't know if it was that fire in Spain, but the Spanish PM visited the site where w- there was one fire and three people died. I don't know how. But presumably, they, they couldn't escape the fire, and his statement to the media was. Simply, climate change kills. Yeah. That's the headline they ran with in mm-hmm. Spain. In Spain, you know, where they have obviously brush fires where it reaches lot, 40C yeah. every year. Mm-hmm. The Spanish prime minister n- knows what to say or believes all the sets of assumptions you've outlined before, then goes up in front of camera uh, about a tragic but still regular occurrence every year mm-hmm. in Spain and says climate change kills yeah. to the Spanish population. Yeah. That's one thing for Brits to have. This is new to them, maybe, you know, except it's not new. Of course, when you look back, there have been strange outbreaks of all kinds of fires in the UK, not man-made going back the last decade. Remember, remember a spate of like Moors fires and fires in wetlands. In wintertime. In wintertime. Up in Scotland too. Gas. Probably something to do with a a natural accelerant outgassing from the ground. But again, like the thing about this is, People were making fun of it across social media and stuff, and I think even people who aren't on, on social media, particularly in the UK, which is a relatively cool country, were, but even in France and, and European countries, they were making fun of the extreme reporting on on these fires and the heat wave. And obviously, it was for a purpose; it was to waken people up and to alarm people to the reality, as far as they're concerned, of man-made global warming and how we have to do everything to do whatever is necessary to stop global warming, which primarily, as everybody knows, is to do away with fossil fuels, which is being, uh, which is a great transformation that's happening right now, uh, particularly American politicians, but European politicians as well, are very uh, much upfront and proud uh, and openly telling population that we're in a wonderful, exciting period of time when there's a great transformation happening, and that transformation is away from fossil fuels, and, it's go- and it can't happen soon enough. The sooner it happens, the better. We've got to really take radical action. Again, that leads into the protests that we talked about last week uh, of Dutch farmers um, who are basically having their, their lives and their livelihoods taken or their livelihoods taken away from them by um, uh, government, Dutch government 
policies on fertilizer use, which basically forces them to radically reduce their fertilizer use, which means, well, you may as well tell them to shut your farm because if you can't, if you have to reduce, in some cases, 87%, reduce your fertilizer use by 87%, and farmers are like, uh, you know, that's not going to work, you know, we might as well just go home now. Um, so, that, you know, that's why they're protesting because they're having their jobs destroyed by government mandate. Um, it also obviously ties into why Ukraine war is very useful, very strangely dovetailing with, with this mandate of getting rid of fossil fuels because it just so happens that the Ukraine war happened and uh, just all, by accident, I suppose, it just happened to, to, to happen at this time. Um, and Western governments had no choice, notably obviously the American government and Western European governments had no choice but to say, okay, we're shutting off uh, Russia's fossil fuel delivery to us. We're going to cut, of course, that's what they say, right? Uh, but it's interesting, it's, it's, it, it fits with the, with, the, with the great transition, right? This war is very, very timely, very useful, <clears throat> perfect in, in a certain <clears throat> sense. I mean, they've been talking about getting rid of fossil fuels for, for quite a long time, and Europe is, and, and many other parts of the world are, are you know, dependent on Russian fossil fuels. Russia launches a military, a special military operation in Ukraine, and boom, we're getting rid of Russia's fossil fuels. We're we're divesting from Russia. We're and we're reducing our our supply, our our, our reliance on Russian fossil fuels. We we'll have to well, we have to try and source them from elsewhere. But this is a great opportunity to do away with them altogether. Right. Yeah, definitely. And so when a heat wave comes along, it's another opportunity on a smaller scale to capitalize on it to push the same noble. Agenda, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Um, did you see the map of where fires broke out in London? It's it's kind of uh, it, none of them happened obviously in the city proper. They're all in suburban areas, but it's spread out. Um, is it random? Well, I don't I don't know how far you want to suggest that um, setting the fires was. Like organized, do you I think, or is it just it's a combination of an accidental spark here with uh, some people actually going around and capitalizing on the heat wave mixture, I suppose could most likely a mixture i mean in, in these kind of situations there's um Tooting, ham, some cooked ham down there in, uh, yeah, around London. Well, that's was random or a nice spread. Well, it's a nice spread, and obviously you have you know, uh, you know, you have a lot, lot of people there. Obviously, around in the Greater London area, eleven million people or something like that. So, um, like I said, it's probably a mix. It's, it it doesn't exclude the, the idea that someone could have been someone with an actual agenda could have been. Um, setting these fires, but there are people. That, um, by, by people with an agenda, I mean, you know, if you look at this as a government, if, if you assume that the government, let's not just assume it. Let's make it. Let's state a fact that the government has agenda. Western governments have clearly have an agenda to alarm people about global warming, about man-made global, global warming. This heat wave is an opportunity to push the message, to, to press the message home. Right? Uh, if having some fires. Uh, serve that agenda, then 
yeah, maybe some government elements or agents of the government would have taken the opportunity to start some fires and say, hey, look, see, uh, global warming, we've got to do something about this. Uh, there are other people, obviously, who have a similar agenda, which is uh, uh, the climate uh, extinction rebellion people mm. who uh, have a tendency to... Um, Take extreme measures to... Well, to highlight issues, provoke yeah. people and get them to in the same way as the think government about might how do it, important yeah. this issue is. Yeah, I mean, like I, I mentioned, uh, I think I wrote, mentioned it on Twitter or whatever that uh, you know, there's this is a fairly common human psychological trait, I suppose, for, for at least for some types of human beings, because um, we have evidence in the past of, for example, on other hot button issues like anti-Semitism. You have had Jews in the past who have gone around daubing swastikas on synagogues in an effort to highlight the fact that. Anti-Semitism, anti except this was a Jew who's anti, who, who's against anti-Semitism, highlighting it by creating anti-Semitism himself, which would seem to, to, you know, not prove his point in a certain sense, where he's forced to go and dob swastikas on a synagogue because no actual anti-Semites are bothered to do it, which suggests that there isn't really an anti-Semitism problem, but this guy believes there really is, but it's just not being recognised, so he has to carry out some anti-Semitic acts in order to highlight anti-Semitism. Uh, the same is true of, um, well, Jussie Smollett, yeah. for example, an example of uh, racism, uh, racism anti-racism activists in, in the US in particular, uh, creating or carrying out racist attacks on people in order to highlight the systemic racism, racism systemic in our society. racism, which is so strong that I have to do it myself in order yeah. to bring attention to it. So there are people like that. The same with climate activists. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them at least had the idea that hey, if we throw a you know throw a few burning matches or uh, flick a few cigarette butts into that field, it might get some attention to the the problem because they're going around like they're what are they doing it seems to be the thing these days seems to be amongst those kinds of people is to super glue your hand to famous paintings uh to bring attention to climate change right i've seen uh, that so it's crazy uh, whatever um so yeah all of the above like so try and pick it out of that you know accidental normal stuff whenever there's a heat wave um people who you know a piece of glass a discarded bottle or something starts a fire people flicking a cigarette butt not intentional starts a fire uh cars that Catch on fire and spread, um, climate extinction rebellion type people deliberately starting it, um, LARPers doing it for shits and giggles, also in there, and then you also have a possible government agenda, government agents, uh, you know, burning burning things down in order to serve the agenda. So, yeah, it's a real broad mix there, you know. Okay, do you think there is anything if you put aside the, their hysteria about it and the narrative, the the capitalization of it for so-called noble noble agendas, right? Mm. Do you think there's anything objective to? Was there anything particular about this heat wave that is different? Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, well, there have been. I mean, you can't deny the fact that there have been uh, heat records broken, spot mm -hmm. spotly intense, fairly intense heat, um, and changing weather patterns. Uh, but this is, I mean, this is a totally different topic in a certain sense where it's, you have to look at it over a long period of time and sure the weather is, uh, the climate is changing, it seems to be around the world and the weather, people are experiencing the weather changing in their particular areas. But it's not uniform, it's not uniformly warm, uh, obviously. So it's a bit oversimplistic to just call it 
man-made global warming because even the the, the scientists who propose pr- promote that uh, that, that theory um, will say that it's obviously not just about warming. You're talking about you're having they claim anyway that you can have colder. You'll have colder winters as well. So it's 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 a broad and also more extreme weather in general. So just more hurricanes, more tornadoes. But it's it's obviously very complicated, and we don't really sit. Uh, we don't really you know we're not on that side of the fence in that respect. Uh, if we have to call it. Uh, at least, well, or my view anyway, is that it's it's something much more complex, and it's not down to human human activity. Uh, the changing weather patterns, which are changing, and changing climate, which is changing, um, in different ways, in chaotic ways, is not mostly due to human activity. Let's say there are other major factors, but that's a totally different topic. Like mm-hmm. I said, it would take it would be, we need a complete. We need a whole show to talk about that, but uh, yeah, suffice to say, it's more celestial stuff like uh, the the sun, etc., uh, that drives climate on the planet. So well, it's yeah. Well, just on the facts on the ground, the European Forest Fire Information System says that this year um, has seen just shy so far of forty thousand hectares burned in Europe, mm-hmm. which makes it the second largest area burned in wildfires in fourteen years with only 2019 being more destructive at 43,000 hectares. Uh, that that could probably be beaten then, I presume, because there's still a, a month and a half of hot weather to go probably in Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might, you know, that, that, that might actually speak to, you know, there, there being a, a basic fact on the ground that, that is that would ordinarily be worth drawing people's attention to. This is what I've meant at the, top, at the top of the show, though. The manner in which it's done is insane. Heat wave apocalypse, like like yeah. the end of the world. Yeah. Well, no, it's something to take, sit up and take note of, but not to go completely yeah, know, but nuts at, about it. What do they say? I mean, how, how do people perceive COVID? Right. Well, they were asked to perceive it as, as the new Black Death, right? That, in which half the population died from Bubos and pustules and right, right. So on the heels of that, I, I'm just drawing a, a, a mm-hmm. connection uh, between the two: uh, the hysteria around COVID, uh, the extreme messaging around COVID, the terrorizing of the population around COVID and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff, um, and then the extreme manipulation around vaccines, uh, and then it's segueing almost seamlessly into hysteria and apocalyptic type language around weather. Is it because people just got the media? I mean, again, you have to look at agendas here. The media loves a good sensationalist story. The media is never going to look ask inside at at, at, the, at at that you know an opportunity to to get clickbait. They're basically getting money. They get more money. The more the more outrageous and hysterical and alarmist the headline, the more money they get. That for me, that's an explanation right there as to why it's being reported in this way. Again, there's other, obviously other reasons as well. Like I said, it's maybe they just got used to the, you know, people psychologically. So leaving aside the monetary aspect inside journalism and even government uh, pushing an agenda, it's, it's, you know, just psychologically people are in that headspace where everything is, everything's tense and disastrous and and, and some rough beast is... uh, Slouching towards uh, 
slouching towards Western Europe and America, slouching westwards. So, um, and they have that in their head and uh, that's just where they are. That's just where they're at. So anything, they, they, they look at anything and they're going to interpret it in those terms. Everything's gone to hell. It's everything, the world is in a terrible state, you know. We're all facing the abyss. We're all looking into the abyss, you know. Um, are people feeling that? I mean, is that manufactured? Or are people feeling that because there is something coming down the line? Is, are things going to get worse? Is this, has this past number of years or whatever been the beginning of a process or, or the beginning of a downward slide into a kind of like, you know, some form of collapse of Western society or global society uh, where everything starts to fall apart and people are picking up on that? Mm. Or is it, is it all self-generated in a certain sense? I mean, because people, you know, the madness of crowds, you can, you can hysterize people over nothing and they'll all run off cliff when they didn't need to. And they say, well, that, yeah, that was the apocalypse of, of those people who ran off the cliff. Yeah, but they didn't it have to. It was real for them. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't have to. It was self-generated. Um, so I suppose you're getting a bit philosophical there in terms of uh, <laughs> determinism and... Uh, um, Objective reality free, free, versus free will versus determinism, yeah. or whatever you know, uh, mass delusion. Faded. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. So, and the other thing, like just yesterday, the World Health Organization, it's been humming around for six months now, declares monkeypox mm. a pandemic. Yeah, again, um, the band's going to make it. We don't want to let this one go. Uh, we're on the, you know, the whole pandemic bandwagon is is, is rolling, uh, and it can't it can't just let it can't be allowed to just peter out. You know, it has to it has to keep going. You know, so uh, is there a vested interest there? What is the agenda? Well, let's uh, let's let's read a mainstream report about how it was announced. Us all, this is from the Telegraph. Um, the WHO has declared mon- monkeypox a global health emergency. Monkeypox. Um, monkeypox. Um, I thought it said monkeypox. So, Ted Ross, uh, never good. Is that K name. silent? Is sure the K isn't silent? Anyway, carry on. Uh... The WHO's Director General took the unprecedented step of overruling a panel of advisors to oh. make the designation. They've been doing that a lot. Um, okay. Shouldn't he have been following the science? Um, no. That was that was last year. So last year, follow the science. Let's follow Ted now. Follow the Ted. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Ross so ignored it? his own expert committee after nine voted against the designation and only six in favor. Mm-hmm. It was the first time a UN health agency chief had unilaterally made such a decision without an expert recommendation. It's a bit dictor- dictatorial, isn't it? The supreme ruler of the World Health Organization overrules no, no democracy there, is it? Six out of ten, and he says, meh. Democracy so, sucks. I, don't, I never liked it. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, is this something we should all be concerned about, or... Uh, Oh, absolutely. It is? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Are you sure it's not just a certain minority, but growing demographic in the the population? Because this is an interesting story here from The Guardian. It's an actual, uh, got pictures and everything. Um, Some guy from the horse's mouth, New Yorker, describes this harrowing ordeal to receive care through a system under-equipped to handle another pandemic. So it's already a pandemic, according to someone in The Guardian. Um, 
there's some pictures there. Horrific, horrific uh, pimples, basically. Had three on his elbow, one on his face. Anyway, uh, opening line, I got monkeypox and it's been a total nightmare. And then, a bit revealing, next line. When New York Pride festivities kicked off on 24th of June, I was aware that monkeypox was an emerging issue, especially for gay men. But I was also under the impression that the number of cases in the city was relatively small. Blah, blah, blah. Second paragraph, even more revealing. I had sex with several guys over the weekend. Then a week later, on the 1st of July, I started feeling very fatigued. I had high fever with chills and muscle aches, and my lymph nodes were so swollen they were protruding two inches out of my throat. Um, Anyway, so this person... um, He's a 39-year-old man from Sweden, living in Brooklyn, and working in philanthropy, as he says. Philanthropy. Um, So he works for an NGO, basically, which which employ about a third third of millennials these days. Yeah, uh, so he got rashes and teapots and that kind of stuff. It's kind of worth reading in a way. If you just scroll down there to below the... uh, There's a little advertisement. Just go back to the article, Damien. Let's scroll down to the next day I got my... Uh, keep going, yeah. Yeah, there you go. The next day I got my STI results because <clears throat> he said when he would be tested for monkeypox, he would be tested for sexually transmitted diseases too, and he was positive for gonorrhea. But no word yet on the monkeypox. Then uh, he got hives everywhere and anorectal lesions. Yeah, it's uh, great. And uh, So anyway, he was just complaining about the kind of how long it took him to get... Uh, the 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 pills, um, and there's a <laughs> there's a part. Let me just see if I can find it here. Uh, uh, so yeah, down at the bottom there, second last paragraph. The whole thing just feels like a huge failure that should not have been allowed to happen, especially not two and a half months into the outbreak. If someone like me who has worked in sexual health for a long time. It's like, physi- it, you know, it's kind of like physician. He's not a physician, but works in sexual health. Uh, you know, heal thyself, i.e., you know, in that second paragraph, you know. Yeah. Um, or the, yeah. Well, this, this is part of the world that um, a lot of people, not just gays either, live in where they've normalized um, <laughs> promiscuity. Mm. They think they can just incorporate it into... Well, wow, apparently nature has other ideas, guys. I'm sorry, but um, here's a, a quick summary from Peter McCullough, arguably the, I think he is the most cited MD in the United States. He summarizes the situation with this monkeypox, quoting a study from New England Journal of Medicine. Um, 98%, so first of all, there's only 17,000 cases for sure, globally so far, five deaths, right? Um Citing this New England um, Journal of Medicine study says, summarizes 98% of cases are gay or bisexual. 41% have concurrent HIV. 95% is transmission bisexual activity. Um, There have been no deaths so far. I mean, I'm no doctor. You missed the 13%. I don't want to have to say it like... yeah, I know what I know what goes wrong with them when when they, <laughs> but what do you expect when they're like engaging in that kind of thing? Okay, um, 
I'm no doctor, but that's basically describing an STD. Yeah, it's a virus, but it's an STD. Yeah. Yeah. So the World Health Organization has just announced a global pandemic for an STD that's transmitted almost exclusively amongst the gays. Between gays. But what does that have to do with me? Well, they just don't make pandemics like they used to. <laughs> or 98% of other people. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, what have I got here? Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> But yeah, it gets worse actually. Check the, yeah, check this out. Here, this is a this is just a headline from the Daily Mail on that topic of uh, the the money box, the monkey box. Sorry, um, you know, it, I don't know. Does it bring it to another level, or is it just I don't know? I don't know what to say about about that headline. To be honest, uh, well, it, it's it's disturbing. It's disturbing. I mean, the U.S. records f- first two child monkeypox case, monkeypox cases. California toddler and an infant in D.C. were likely infected by quote household contacts, and both men had both children had contact with gay or bisexual men. CDC chief says, and given what we've just learned, that ninety-five percent of cases are sexually transmitted. Connect the dots. So yeah, um, uh, it's 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 just so so we should we should, like, should roll out a, a monkeypox vaccination for children then. For children, I don't know. I don't know what are they saying about a vaccine? Smallpox vaccine? Roll up, roll up. Everyone get them. Mm-hmm. I presume they're not going to go full COVID. No, with this. No, they're not going to go full, full COVID again. This is just. This they is, can't. This is. This is almost like there is something real going on here, and it should concern people in certain parts of society but mm-hmm. that's all there is to it but because like you say we're on the back of hysteria about it's like when you put pandemic with this mm-hmm. and pandemic with COVID mm-hmm. you, you clearly have to use a different term because the and arguably yeah. then pandemic right. of COVID with pandemic of say well, black that, death yeah. plague you still need a third term where actually one or two people are killed you know what I mean well they haven't used the term Pandemic. They're not saying pandemic for, for monkeypox yet. Didn't the World Health Organization declare it's a pandemic? No. What did I just read? What was the headline? Emergency. Global emergency. So that's what? Well, okay. One step short of it, is it? Mm. They do actually still need the numbers to declare the pandemic, even though they reduced the, the they changed the definition of the pandemic for COVID to reduce the number of people or the scope of the, of the spread. Uh, from what previous what it had been for for decades and decades for forever, I think uh, they changed the term pandemic in order to allow COVID the the numbers they had for COVID to to be to be a pandemic. But certainly five people, uh, uh, five deaths, and mostly mostly gay gay guys uh, is you know they'd have to they'd have to change the definition of pandemic radically again mm. to, uh, to to declare the pandemic. Um, so, um, yeah, um, I don't know, whatever, um, <laughs> whatever, it's clown shoes, man. It's not just clown shoes, it's like, like I was saying to, actually, I was saying to uh, Anna there a while ago, um, it's kind of like, um, it's not just clown shoes, it's, it's, it's like governments 
and authorities in the Western world today are slowly putting on a clown outfit and they start with the, the shoes. So it's like they put on the clown shoes and then they give you a while and then they put on the, the, the fancy clown, the flappy clown pants and then they give you a while to adjust to that, you know, and then they put on the, the, the top and then slowly they put on the the makeup and the red nose and the big thing and the flower that squirts water. Do it step by step so that a, uh, by a certain point it's actually a clown standing in front of you authoritatively telling you what the reality of the day is and you go, this is normal, that's a normal person because it's sl- slowly he's been clownified. The whole situation has been clownified. People are brought along with clownish, ridiculous, irrational statements bit by bit and they're left to sit for a while to ferment in the vat of the public mind or something to mature, to, to filter down until people normalise it and then they go to the next stage. Seems to be the way it's happening because it really is. I mean, um, it's a good meme. Yeah. It uh, is a good meme, the clown meme. Um, but COVID itself hasn't gone away. Um, BA4, BA5, this is post Omicron variants now that are still pretty much nothing burgers in the sense of. Um, uh, in terms of their, their the severity of them, they're, as with the vast majority of, of viruses, once they mutate, they lose function and become less less virulent, uh, less able to do what they were originally meant to do, and they just provoke a, a, a more a lesser immune response, and also you build up your own people are exposed to it, which is at this point is the vast majority of people in, in any population has been exposed to COVID of some type. Um, they have that immunity to it, and it's lasting immunity. Obviously, if you get if you if you get exposed to a variant, uh, say over the past couple of years, uh, you you've developed you know naturally you develop natural strong natural immunity, which is the best immunity, uh, despite what the science says. It's obviously for for healthy individuals, it's the best immunity, um, and that immunity then <clears throat> again based on studies and all that kind of stuff, but also based on the basic tenets of virology, as viruses mutate, they become less functional, which means that you are likely to have immunity if, to future variants because they're less, they're less functional. They're not. They're, it's like, I don't know. It's like when you, when you, I don't know. I don't know what analogy I could use. If you, fought, you fight someone or something, you're in a battle with someone, you chop off their arm. Uh, you know, when they come at you again, it's easier to feed, it's easier to deal with them because they've only got one arm from the last time they they interacted with you or something like that. Um, but this is this is reflecting the actual data as well. If you just throw up um, those two those two JPEGs, Damien, um, this is hospitalizations in the UK. Uh, this is from our world and data uh, in hospital. Um, Sorry, yeah, it's not the UK, it's, it's across UK, Australia, Ireland, Japan, Canada, US and the Netherlands. Numbers on the left there and time along the bottom. So from March 25th up until a couple of days ago, these are numbers. So highest there at this point, United Kingdom's quite high in terms of hospital patients, COVID-19 patients in hospital per million people. So in the UK, it's somewhere around 250 <clears throat> and down from that. Uh, Australia, Ireland, 200, 150, Japan, 100, US, below 100, per million now. Netherlands, about just above 50. So this is hospitals. These are people who are in hospital. Are they COVID-19 patients? Obviously, the data isn't, they're not collecting that level of data, or at least it's not being published. Comorbidities, 
probably, possibly, who knows, severity of COVID, meh, probably not much at this point. The kind of variants that are around aren't causing severe disease, they're causing just like general cold-like, cold-like or flu-like symptoms. Um, in people with, with fairly serious comorbidities, a flu-like or cold-like uh, a situation can be a bit worrying if you've got also got COPD or any other serious underlying condition. That's why you might be in hospital, but you're not really in hospital for COVID-19. There's not many people healthy. There's basically no healthy people in hospital with the variant of COVID-19 that's going around right now because it really is uh, flu or cold-like and you don't go to hospital for a flu or a cold. Uh, but if you just jump to the next one, it's actually deaths. Um... Or sorry, ICU, not deaths. Uh, same countries. Um, again, just to give you an idea of how severe this uh, pandemic is at this point, those are the numbers on the side. Highest numbers are 12 per million people. So uh, you're talking about uh, Japan, 8 people per million, Canada, Australia, 6, Ireland, 4, United Kingdom, the Netherlands, about 2 people per million or an ICU uh, for COVID. Again, comorbidities almost undoubtedly and therefore not really in hospital. The point is this variant is not <laughs> putting healthy people in hospital and certainly not putting them in ICU. It's putting people, it's causing people like any other virus could do, people with serious comorbidities into hospital because it's the straw that breaks the camel's back type thing, you know. Uh, so those are just that's just some as, as an update. That's basically that's where we're at, and that's the same around the world. Basically, it's really is in Gothenburg, and so there, there can be no lockdowns based on this. And any other future variants, what are they going to do? They're going to have diminished function going forward. So COVID's over. COVID's done. COVID's. Uh, they, of course, they still want to sell vaccines to people uh, because it's very lucrative. Uh, at this point, that can be really the only real reason for them to be pushing still strongly for extra boosters and all that kind of stuff is to get rid of the stock that they that they have and for big pharma to keep keep banking it. You know, um, uh, uh, I'll give you an example, like of just uh, of how it's politics. You know, uh, you know, co- well on on COVID, like obviously there's hospitalizations and all that kind of stuff. But um, what about uh, restrictions? Masks coming back? Are there any masks coming back? <clears throat> I've heard, yes, France and Germany. A lot of places well, seem to be doing it a lockstep as well. Possibly, possibly in California. They're going to vote on it this week, whatever, for schools and stuff like that. But um, this is just, I pulled this from, uh, I don't know, from the US government website, whatever, uh, Transport Authority or, I don't know, something like that, foreign, Department of Foreign Affairs or something like that. Um, right now, if you're not an American citizen, you need... Um, to have you need to be fully vaccinated this is to enter the US to enter the US you need to be fully vaccinated yeah. to show proof of vaccination um, that's an example there but the interesting thing is a person who has received only one dose of an accepted two dose series and has recovered from COVID does not meet this definition and therefore is not considered fully vaccinated right Um. CDC has not recommended the use of mixed match COVID-19 vaccines. However, such strategies are increasingly common in many countries. I say, therefore, for the purpose of interpreting vaccination records for the travel of the United States, CDC ex- will accept combinations of accepted COVID-19 vaccines. Anyway, at the top, you're considered fully vaccinated two weeks uh, after your dose of accepted single-dose vaccine. 
two weeks after your second dose of an accepted two-dose vaccine, full series of accepted 19 vaccines, after you receive two doses of any mix and match, match combination. Basically what they're saying is, fully vaccinated in the US is two vaccines. The original one. The one that everybody got, most people who were getting it, got by at, by mid-20, mid, mid last year, mm. over, a, over a year ago. Most people had had that two, two dose vaccines. Now, do I need to say, I think everybody knows at this point, right, that the reason we're having boosters and we're on our fourth booster now is because everybody, it's accepted. It's not, it's not heresy to say that those two original doses of vaccine don't work anymore when you got them last year. They run out after three months, depending on the person, three, four months, whatever. Uh, they're, no, they're no longer useful. That's why you have to get a booster, right? Uh, yeah, two at this point. Huh? Yeah, but that's why there's boosters, right? Because uh-huh. the original two doses that everybody got that you signed up for don't work anymore. They don't work after three, three months, three, four months. At most, maybe six months. So we're a year into it now, and the US still has a, a, a rule that you have to be fully vaccinated to go to the US, but fully vaccinated is your two doses, which at most became completely useless to you last December. That yeah, which is crazy. Um, Explain it to me, isn't it? No, it's, I can't. It's crazy. Basically, you, people uh, who wait, have no I, protection I against COVID. I'm confused. Are you, are you saying you can't get into the US unless you're? Mm-hmm. I thought they were just if you're foreign national. Yeah. If you're not a US citizen, so but surely there are people who are not vaccinated who are getting into the US. It's not Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Rogan was I mean, bitching about that communist dictator in Canada yeah. because you couldn't leave or get in mm-hmm. regardless of who you were if you weren't vaccinated. You can leave America. If you're, if you're unvaccinated. And if you're an American citizen, you can, you can leave and get back in. But so, you have to do a PCR. But uh, I think if you're an unvaccinated, you have to show a negative PCR. But if you're a foreign national, if you're basically a visitor, you can't get into the US without being quote-unquote fully vaccinated. And according to the American government, fully vaccinated is having received two doses of a vaccine that at this point give you zero protection. So tell me it's not politics. And also tell me that uh, Djokovic, um, what's his first name? Novak's. No, Novak's. <laughs> that's his uh, joke name. Novak, Novak Djokovic, who won Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago, uh, and was obviously allowed to play in it, is not allowed to play at the US Open, happening soon. Because he's not vaccinated. But, so in theory, he, and that's, you know, that's in line with those rules, like he's a foreigner, so he's not allowed into, he's not, not, it's not that he's just not allowed to play at the US Open, he's not allowed into the US because he doesn't have a two-dose vaccine. A two-dose vaccine that if he had got it last year would provide him with zero protection at this point. Doesn't need to have a booster, but a vaccine that, that basically is not working anymore would allow him to go to the US because health, because stopping COVID, because stopping transmission it doesn't stop transmission anyway. What's the point? Tell me what the point is, Neil. What's the point of all this? Control, or yeah, or money, or propaganda. It's purely politics. Yeah. If someone tells me that I can't come into a country because I'm not properly immunized in a way that does not provide me any immunization, then obviously. Obviously, the science is left by the wayside. Well, Deborah Burks, you know, she was up there with Fauci 
went back to the beginning of this, she was Team Fauci in um, mm-hmm. the U.S. government's official COVID response team in 2020. Mm-hmm. She she's on the media last week saying, "Yeah, we knew when we rolled out the vaccines that they wouldn't stop infections." Mm-hmm. But we just you knew didn't that. know what to say. You weren't saying that at the time. I think she's probably BSing herself. She's adapted her self-narrative after the fact. Uh, as much as it is, you know, CYA to try and say, well, we were never, yeah, we oversold it a bit. But mm-hmm. she still blabs, though. I don't know if we want to play it, but she still blabs. Oh, it was important anyway, you know, mm-hmm. because something. She didn't give a straight answer. She certainly didn't give a scientific answer. Um, have you got the uh, Tucker there? Yeah, well, I mean, stick him up. We're, we're, we're being cautious about you know not discussing. Do we get a copyright strike for uh, playing Tucker? No, no, no. It's news. It's publicly available info. That's only if it's I don't know Disney or movie Netflix. or a song or something. This is Tucker Carlson talking. I mean, he's talking about now, so he's, his video's up on YouTube, so whatever. Vaccine harms, which, uh, and what he's going to talk about are two studies published in the last uh, few months. A link to neurodegenerative disease, myocarditis, Bell's palsy, liver disease, impaired adaptive immunity, impaired DNA damage response, etc. So it's possible, in fact, it's looking likely that the vaccine might suppress the immune system. This fact, the authors concluded, will, quote, have a wide range of consequences, not the least of which include the reactivation of latent viral infections and the reduced ability to effectively combat future infections, end quote. Now, again, we sincerely hope that's not true. But it's not just the conclusion of one scientific journal. The Lancet, maybe the most famous scientific journal in the world, released similar findings in February. The Lancet's piece was entitled, quote, risk of infection, hospitalization and death up to nine months after a second dose of COVID-19 vaccine. A physician called Kenji Yamamoto made this observation about the data from The Lancet. He wrote this in a letter to the Journal of Virology and we're quoting. The study showed that immune function among vaccinated individuals eight months after the administration of two doses of COVID-19 vaccine was lower than that among the unvaccinated individuals. Ah, now your first response, if you're a humane person, to a line like that has got to be deep sympathy because people were misled, they were forced. They were forced. Medical ethics thrown out the window. People were forced to take medicine they didn't want, and some of them may have been hurt by it. And you don't have to take this man's word for it. Pull up the Lancet study yourself. You won't find anything of the text of the article saying what Kenji Yamamoto said, which is weird. Why would the Lancet want to hide a major finding like that? We can't say. But if you look at table three in the piece, here's what you'll find buried in the data. Among people around the age of 80 who have been double vaccinated, that would include people like Joe Biden, The per capita rate of medical incidences, including hospitalizations or death, is nearly twice as high as the rate of serious incidents for the unvaccinated. This is 180 days after vaccination. What is that? And why is no one interested? Yeah, good question. Uh, Just on those two two studies. The first one, I mean, uh, there's more than that. And again, it's hard to find. Uh, there There is some data that 
in terms of questioning vaccines uh, or efficacy of vaccines or what they say about vaccines and the side effects from vaccines, there is data coming out bit by bit, but it's heavily censored. And it's because, there's, you know, there's people are I've bought into people. Most scientists are, are know that it's very bad. It's a very bad career move to come out and uh, uh, diss vaccines or to expose vaccines as not having worked because they are the savior of the human race. Right? They have saved us from certain doom and death and destruction over the past two years. That's that's the official narrative. This is the one. He, the first one they refer to. And um, you see the four names there. There, the four, those four people are all uh, anti-vaxxers. Uh, dismissed as anti-vaxxers, crank scientists, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Peter McCullough is a doctor, a scientist. Um, um, Greg Nye is a nutritionist. Stephanie Seneff is at MIT. She's a computer scientist. And the other guy, Anthony Kurapopoulos, is actually actually a microbiologist. Anyway, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with their credentials. It's just that they have... It's more than just this paper. I mean, they didn't just come up with this paper. They're not. They're not straight up straight down the middle, scientists who suddenly saw the light and had published this paper. They're simply publishing a paper uh, that uh, is the basis of stuff, is based on, on, on their perspective or their statements on vaccines going back quite a while now, you know. Um, so that's that's that first one that he's referring to. So, I mean, I'm not saying you can dismiss it. I'm just saying that it will is has been and is being dismissed uh, because of the people who, um, the people who authored it. Um, the other one is which one? Yeah, okay, that was that one. This the other one is that he mentions the Lancet, and it's better, I suppose, in a certain sense because um, these are the the authors of this study in the Lancet are solid. At the top there, you can see Norton. It's it's a man and wife thing. Anna Nordstrom and uh, Peter Peter Nordstrom and Marcel. Uh, Balan, no anti-vaxxers amongst those at all, straight down the middle and that's why uh, Tucker was saying basically that, you know, it's funny because they don't draw the conclusion someone else, a Japanese guy had to look at it and say, hang on a minute, you didn't mention this little finding in mm. your in your study, in your, in your research, you didn't highlight that uh, because they would say, well that's not relevant, it's just a little, but we can actually look at it here Um if you just go down to, uh, you got to scroll down a good bit, Damien. Um, scroll down to table three. There's a, there's a, there's a bunch of boxes. Keep going. Yeah, keep keep going on down. Down, 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 down. Down past that. That's table one. That's table two, and then the next table is table three. So, table three. Uh, if you just scroll down inside table three, if you can put your cursor in the middle and just scroll down. And go down to on the left hand side there you see uh, the days sixty one to one hundred and twenty days uh, one hundred and twenty one to one hundred and eighty days, and then the last one is one hundred and eighty days and more and the, so the piece of data that he 's actually referencing that this Japanese guy was referencing from this because all the other data shows that vaccines are effective uh-huh. for all the different age groups in this one um, over one hundred and eighty days they only include just they just do Previously, they had done different age groups. Here, they just do age under 80 and age over 80. And the the actual data, if you look across at the over 80 there, uh, the number of people, 67,085. Um, the second column is um, the number of events. The third column is the incidence per 100,000 person, people, basically, that per capita. 
and that's for um, vaccinated. And then the next one is the number of events and then incidents per 100,000 people for unvaccinated. So basically, the the numbers that are, the relevant numbers there are, um, are, are the 1.0 on the second row, that, that's, uh, incidents, the incidents per 100,000 people over 80 years at 100, uh, 80 years or more at 180 days uh, of uh, the incidence of hospitalization and death or whatever. In, in unvaccinated people, 1.0 and two columns across, 1.8 in vaccinated people. So it's almost twice the risk uh, per capita in this particular age group, which is 80 years old. The most vulnerable, after all. The most vulnerable and at on uh, 180 days. So th- that's it, basically. <laughs> that's it. You know, in terms of that, that's... that. Again, it's it's a data point, but the, the, I suppose the, the the authors of it would say, well, that's, you know, you're talking about 80 years old plus. You know, you're talking about a long time after the vaccination, you're talk- which was, what, six months? 180 days? Six months after the vaccination, they would say, well, obviously those people need uh, need boosted, need extra extra boosters, you know. But it shows at a baseline that it's you know you could argue that okay, forget about boosters. You have unvaccinated people, eighty years old, and you have vaccinated people, eighty years old, and six months after having the vaccine people 80 years old plus have twice, almost twice the risk of severe COVID than the unvaccinated people. Bringing up the questions, mm-hmm. what did the vaccine do to their immune system? Why are they more at risk? That's just per capita across the board. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not talking about, you know, um, health status or anything like that. It's simply a broad, broad statement that people in that age group have twice the risk of severe COVID. And the only, a reasonable conclusion is it's because they got vaccinated that they're impaired, their immune system is impaired. And there's a simple explanation for why it took another outside observer, this Kenji guy, to write to the Lancet and say, you should have highlighted that in your abstract or conclusion, which is that the authors saw it, of course they did, but they were afraid to, Mm -hmm. because, like you said, they were straight down the middle scientists, they're neutral on this issue, they want to keep it that Mm way. You know, money... Grants, uh, position. Uh, well, there, yeah, and there's also data. Like, I mean, there, the, the, there's there is some data, and it's it makes sense. Uh, and people have talked about it, although there's precious few, if any, studies that have actually looked you know deeply into it. But the idea is that um, having been vaccinated, it's a bad idea to be vaccinated uh, with a vaccine that's against a specific variant, like the Delta, like those people who got the two dose, two dose vaccine, uh, or even the booster and stuff is against the original, uh, the original variant, the original Delta variant, let's say, um, which is a bad idea as, as the, as the virus mutates and changes, uh, having been vaccinated against this Delta variant that no longer exists, primes your immune system, in the, in the wrong direction, effectively. It, it primes your immune system to look for a variant that no longer exists, leaving you more exposed, which is what that data would suggest, leaving certain people anyway who don't have uh, 
you know, who don't have the best immune system anyway because they're older, um, leaving them vulnerable to infection by a less, le- less serious variant, but still nonetheless exposing them, making them more vulnerable to a, a variant that, uh, that is very different from the, the variant that their vaccine was designed to combat. Just one of the one of the problems, one of the arguments you could, I think, reasonably and scientifically and everything else make against the whole vaccine situation. Uh, that I don't think anybody would, at least in theory, in the you know, okay, in the absence of any actual studies looking into it in depth, it's not something that anyone could take any any issue with uh, in terms of the theory of it, because it's a sound theory that if you're vaccinating someone against a particular variant, oh well, it's it's Fauci's theory. Yeah. Do you want to hear Fauci, what Fauci said in 1999 mm-hmm. about introducing vaccines mm-hmm. during a pandemic? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's have a listen. Many scientists are beginning to believe that a vaccine against AIDS may be impossible to make and too dangerous to test. If you take it and then a year goes by and Boy. everybody's fine. Then you say, okay, that's good. Now let's give it to uh, 500 people. And then a year goes by and everything's fine. You say, well, then now let's give it to thousands of people. And then you find out that it takes 12 years for all hell to break loose. And then what have you done? What have you done? Indeed, St. Tony. Well, he's not. He's short on details there. Why is that a problem? What does he mean all hell breaks loose? Well, uh, he was talking just there about an improperly tested vaccine. Right. And of course, here we just rushed out, right. you know, mRNA freaking right. whatever the hell it is type of new experimental vaccine yeah. but on there's the a, population and it doesn't work. There's other video, I'm pretty sure, of him actually being more specific about it, which is uh, talking about it's a bad idea to vaccinate, to ma- roll out mass vaccination during a pandemic, specifically because... Uh, it hasn't settled. The virus hasn't settled down into a stable variant that is just going to take its place amongst the other seasonal viruses that, that like flu and cold viruses that that, yeah. that float around. That while it's still mutating, it's a very bad idea to vaccinate people because which point? Do you, which you, what are you vaccinating? What are you vaccinating against? You're vaccinating against the original one. Now it's not there anymore. And are you? Because he knows. I mean, he's not stupid, right? That the stuff that we're talking about is stuff that's known, well known, and has been well known to, to epidemiologists for for decades. And that's why it's weird. I think there's some kind of or murder going on or some kind of they're all cowed into silence about yeah. it because it can't be that strange it, it, can't, it can't be it's not it's not fringe science to say what 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 we're saying here which is that and they know it which is that don't vaccinate people against a variant while it's mutating because you're going to vaccinate you're going to not only are you going to are you going to be vulnerable to you're, you're not vaccinating me against the variant that's going to come along but you're actually misdirecting their immune system towards that original variant leaving the immune to later variants you know I mean, it's not just that it's not going to work, but you're actually impairing their immune system. Yeah, yeah, and you're 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 forcing what uh, Geert van, van der Bosch described. You're forcing, you're putting pressure on that virus that's already extremely mutagenic, hmm. and you're pressurizing it into doing something possibly even more crazy. Maybe. Uh, I, this was common sense, I thought, into 2020. Um, it turns out it's not, but like it's like the thing with the immune system, you know. They, they see, the, the way things developed over the last two years, they seem to pretend initially that it didn't exist, that immunity is only conferred by vaccines. 
And we saw last week mm-hmm. a couple of headlines where they're like, surprised, the studies show that actually, you know, you do have an immune system, an innate immune system. I, mean, I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, the only thing I thought it was common sense two years ago. Yeah, but, but you know, money talks, you know. We have to live for the fact that. So I, I'm surprised to learn that uh, you can't get into the U.S. if you're a foreigner. Mm-hmm. Unless you're quote unquote fully vaccinated, yeah, they never they haven't dropped that, you know. Other Pu- public servants it. are still being fired uh, in Australia for not remaining fully vaccinated, where the definition is now four, mm-hmm. not two, four. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're firing police mm-hmm. um, in Australia. This one is uh, there's also a thing about kids, and I right, they've been rolling out uh, method, uh, rolling out vaccine vaccines for kids, or trying to roll out vaccines for kids, and they have done at least in the US. They're approving vaccines for children, um, not just 5 to 11 years old, but below 5 from basically toddlers between 6 months and 5 years old. But this one is a study from uh, done in Singapore. It's published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it just looks at vaccination, the effect, eff- effectiveness of uh, the mRNA vaccine, COVID vaccine against Omicron in children, um, published July 20th, <coughs> which is a few days ago. Um, and if we just on that one, if we just um, search for, well, I'll just give you an idea. They, uh, if you look at the results there, it says uh, under methods, total, there was two hundred fifty-five thousand nine hundred thirty-six children. It's at the top, yeah, it's up there. Um, we're included in the analysis. Um, something about twenty percent of them were unvaccinated, and the rest was split between one dose and two two doses. But if you just do a search for uh, oxygen. The word oxygen. Uh, so in the study, 255,000 kids, uh, only five, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, 288 hospitalizations over the period of, of these children and among among hospitalized children, only five received supplemental ox- oxygen and four were admitted to the intensive care unit. Of these five children, one was unvaccinated, two were partially vaccinated and two were fully vaccinated. Now, okay, so that's between partially and fully vaccinated. That's a, a four to one ratio uh, of people of kids uh, in in uh, in ICU and and uh, and on one needing oxygen. Oh, sorry, uh, five needing supplemental oxygen uh, of the two hundred and eighty-eight. Um, so, but the, if you look for then. Um, well, admittedly, there were significantly more children who were vaccinated between the one dose and two doses. It was 80% of the, of the population. So, of course, you're going to have more uh, of them uh, in amongst the, the hospitalized, hospitalized and ICU, right? It's that old thing where it's like, well, if everybody's been vaccinated, of course, you're going to have more people in hospital who are vaccinated, right? So the same applies here because the majority, 80%, were either one or two dose vaccinated. So you can't draw anything necessarily from that. But... We're talking here about risk to children is, is the main thing. So of 255,000 children, 288 were hospitalised. Um, again, they don't say anything about what the hospitalisation was, but the more importantly was needed supplemental oxygen and uh, were in ICU. There's only five. Um, just search then for... So that that's the risk, basically. The point about this is that's the risk uh, for children. Vaccinated or not vaccinated, 255,000 children in Singapore, uh, only five 
of 255,000 ended up in ICU. Uh, sorry, four were admitted to intensive care of, of the five, but five, five needed supplemental oxygen, let's say. So, five, so out of 255,000 children, the risk of COVID in terms of it being severe disease where, where a, children, a child would need supplemental oxygen is five out of 255,000, right? Just that's, that's, that's a fairly low risk, right? Just for parents deciding whether or not they want, um, whether their children should get vaccinated. Right. That suggests not really that big of a risk. Why would you bother? But five out of 255,000? I mean, the rest who were in hospital might have had just a bit of a cold or flu because you take a lot of, I mean, especially as a kid, if a kid gets bit breathless or something you might take them to the hospital they might be hospitalized when you hear hospitalization it doesn't really mean anything you know what i mean especially depending on who you're looking at but with uh, especially when they break it down with icu and needing oxygen but anyway if you just search then for uh so that's a risk from covid let's say of severe covid for children five out of two hundred fifty-five thousand. if you just search then for the word uh, adverse adv or c uh, so of these in singapore 22 serious adverse events after vaccination among children Five to eleven age were reported to the health service authority. So, the same number of children, twenty-two, had severe adverse reactions compared okay. compared to five right. needing serious hospitalisation. So, for a parent, those are your numbers. At least from this study in Singapore of a big, you know, large quantity of children, two hundred fifty-five thousand. Basically, if from a statistical point of view, there's four times. More likely to have a vaccine adverse event than, need than they are than to, need to be in need ICU or in oxygen. Need, yeah. Okay. So that that's the bottom line on should, if our parents should my child get vaccinated, what are the risks? Well, there's it's not just don't think when you think about risks, it's not just risks from COVID. It's risk from adverse reactions, serious adverse reactions to the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, which is the elephant in the room, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a major protest in London. Um, parents, family members, whatever, uh, marching, marching, people basically holding up photos of people they knew or themselves who'd had vaccine adverse events, mm-hmm. trying to draw attention to it. I mean, I don't know what kind of help, if any, they get, you know, mm-hmm. especially when they claim or specifically try to maybe sue. Mm-hmm. On that basis, they probably find it very difficult yeah. to, to get any make any headway. Um, Last point on vaccines and COVID and infection, all that kind of stuff. Immunity is immunity conferred by vaccines, or do people have immune systems? Well, people have immune systems. It seems this is from Nature magazine. It's from a, talking about a, a, an article uh, or a, a, a paper. Uh, published, I'm not sure what was published, but anyway, uh, it's been reported on by Nature here, and they basically say that if you've had, uh, if you if you came in contact with Omicron, now remember Omicron was started about last December, so seven, eight months ago, whatever it was, all the talk, uh, early December, so really eight months ago, Omicron was all the talk, and people coined it after a little while when they looked at it, and studies out of different places showed the amount of hospitalization from Omicron. They said, this is a nothing burger. It was South Africa, actually, that woman in, that the researcher in South Africa first came out and said, look, this Omicron thing is just a nothing burger, really. So, yeah, Omicron was coined the Omicold, right, because it basically gave cold-like symptoms. So, And then that was in last December, early December. So between then and now, a lot of people got exposed to Omicron, 
And good news is that these new variants, BA4, BA5, uh, if you were infected with uh, Omicron, if you got that sniffles or the cold or whatever, um, over the past seven or eight months, then if you just scroll down um, to, yeah, go a little bit, bit more, a bit more, a bit more. Yeah, I think it's in that paragraph. I'll keep going. Yeah, okay. At the top there, yeah. The researchers found that infection with a pre-Omicron variant prevented infection with the BA or B4, BA4, BA5 with an effectiveness of 28%. That's a pre-Omicron variant. Um, and that prevented symptomatic reinfection. Prior infection with Omicron granted stronger protection it was 79.7% effective at preventing B4 and B5 and 76.1% effective at preventing symptomatic reinfection. So basically, if you've had uh, Omicron, if you had the sniffles over the past uh, seven or eight months, or you felt like, oh, I had the COVID, or even if you got tested for it and you were tested positive, then that suggests that these two new variants that are floating around now, which again are undoubtedly have, have reduced function, are not as serious. They're more infectious, but that happens. At, at, uh, the more infectious, they talk about it as being super because Omicron was talked about as being really infectious, way more infectious than Delta. Oh my God, Omicron. And then it was, hang on, it's the Omicold. Forget about who's being infected by it. What are the symptoms? Symptoms are a sniffle, a bit of a sore throat, maybe, you know, down for a day or two and then you're fine. So a kind of cold. Uh, BEA4 and BA5 now are like, whoa, this is Omicron on steroids. It's super infectious. Yeah, but as everybody knows, anybody who's an epidemiologist, I'm not, but anybody who like has read, <laughs> read, the, read the A, B and C of epidemiology is like, they know uh, that... As this, as as viruses mutate, <coughs> they lose function, and they lose viral, uh, virulence, uh, i.e., the strength, the, the strength of the symptoms they uh, provoke. But they very often become more infectious, <coughs> in the sense that they spread more. So basically, if you've had Omicron, if you had the sniffles over the past seven or eight months, then this, these new super, super transmissible BA four and BA five, you have somewhere in the region of eighty percent. And again, that probably means. I mean, it's hard to define, but 80% uh, protection, natural immunity protection against uh, these, i.e. you won't get the sniffles again. You're, you're 80% likely to not get any more sniffles from any of these new variants. And that's, there's no reason to think that won't continue as more as uh, this virus mutates into other stupid variants, <clears throat> more retarded variants, basically. You know, it's becoming, it goes from like a nice, you know, it goes from like a, a well-formed, I don't know, it goes from like... Um, it goes from <clears throat> who's a model model male goes from, let's say <clears throat> Brad Pitt I don't know he was that's, that's <clears throat> years ago <laughs> anyway like the cover somebody in the cover of Men's Sports Illustrated uh-huh. to Shrek right right uh, and then down to Frankenstein or whatever this, this is the way the virus is, is transforming it's, it's it just can't it can't do as much you know it's it's not as effective anymore that's what happens with with random mutation right random mutations are as people as, as you know. Anybody who knows, it's like random mutation is blind mutation. It's the blind watchmaker. The blind watchmaker is supposedly uh, <coughs> an oxymoron, if ever was one, but that's that stupid Dawkins guy. But anyway, uh, it's like, um, it's like uh, taking a paragraph of text, a coherent paragraph of text, and randomly changing some letters and expecting that it'll make more sense afterwards. That's what happens to viruses. They just become more... <coughs> <coughs> yeah. Um... Anyway, what else is going on? That's <coughs> is Putin dead yet? Well, they're not sure. Um, Are you sure? They're you know not that? sure. They 
they've suggested that uh, a body double went on his <coughs> behalf to Iran last week. Yeah, uh, a robot body double. Because remember, if you remember what you're supposed to, if you're up to date on the Ukraine war, Putin was hiding away and he wasn't talking to anyone because he's afraid of COVID, and if he's afraid of catching it from other world leaders. So right. then, of course, they followed up. They said he might have died. Actually, he might be very sick and have died. So the news last week. That Look how he different he looks. So can't you tell? Look at him in Iran. There, that's not Putin. <coughs> no, that's him. Which yeah. is the body double? <coughs> Who knows? Is is it, is it, is it the guy on the right in the right picture? In, in the in the turban. In the turban. Yeah. That's, yeah, well, that's, that's definitely not Putin. Like, that's definitely a body double. It's not a very good body double, though. Um, no, that's uh, Tala. And, uh, <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not, no. That's, uh, no, the Ayatollah's again, the left in the suit. Um, I don't know these days. There's so many body doubles. How can you tell? Uh, anyway, so he doesn't have a body double, and he's not dead, and they're not losing the war in Ukraine. And... What he's else? not afraid of COVID. Obviously. He's not afraid of COVID. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was interesting, I thought. Um, not for the reasons the media said, but Iran has the second highest, largest proven natural gas reserves on Earth behind mm-hmm. Russia. So part of his trip was to cement a deal in which Gazprom would develop Iran's massive gas reserves, yeah, which are effectively gas. Gas on ice by the global system. The globalists kept it. No, 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 no. Well, when you behave or yeah. become and Russia a normal wasn't country, interested either because it was Russia competition. said to hell with it. Well, yeah, that's what you would think, right? So why would Russia help? Well, because it was competition back then, but now the, the chessboard has changed, Yeah, you know, and it makes more sense now for to bring that online, you know, um, because we're not friends anymore. Um the West and uh, and Russia aren't friends anymore, so it's all change. Uh, yeah, um, Ukraine. You don't hear much. It's just continuing on. Um, we're, we're waiting for the LSU to drop in Ukraine. Basically, uh, Russian troops are making slow and well. I mean, you say slow, but it's just we've talked about this so many times. But just baked my noodle away. They kept on saying Russia's going so slow, it's not going the way they expected. They should have taken Kiev in the first two days, but they didn't, and they still haven't taken Kiev. They haven't taken anything. It's like people are just so clear. There's so much crap on Twitter from people who have no clue, no understanding, not not even a cursory basic understanding that they could get themselves from just looking at the situation, but they're so ideologically possessed in the Slava Ukraine, Zelensky's my hero and all that kind of stuff that they just don't care about the facts, you know? I mean... The Ukrainian army, like we've said before, was being built up, trained, armed, funded for eight years, specifically for a war in eastern Ukraine. And the bulk of the well-trained, well-equipped Ukrainian forces had been pushed into, up to the borders of the, the occupied or the, the self-declared independent Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republic. That's where they were all amassed. So then... That's the bulk of the of the opposition that Russia has to deal with. So why is Russia taking so long to deal with pretty much all of the Ukrainian army? Well, because it's all of the Ukrainian army. It's NATO-trained, armed, funded, and has been for eight years. Why is it going slow? It's not going slow. Well, no, no, yeah. yeah the, the, the developments are that Russia has withdrawn about 80 to 90% of its armed forces from Ukraine. They're not in Ukraine anymore, you see. 
that's that's incredible. I couldn't believe it when I heard that, but it's, it's it's the case. They're back in Russia, resting and refitting for the next stage. That's the best guess from Colonel uh, retired U.S. Colonel Douglas MacArthur uh, McGregor. Hmm. Um, that is, he's expecting in the next few weeks there'll be a major new advance uh, of a different type. So you're like, well, that can't be right. They're still fighting. Yeah, it's actually almost all being done by the Chechen, still under Russian military commands, Chechen militias mm-hmm. and the locals themselves. This is an interesting thing that keeps coming back up. It, it occurred again in conversation when Putin was discussing Syria with Erdogan and uh, Raisi in Tehran last week. Russia went with the same message it's had about Syria for, for the last six years, which is, you know, Let's stitch this up. You know, the U.S. needs to get out of northeast Syria. The U.S. needs to stop sending terrorists from its base at Al-Tanf on the Jordanian border into Syria, et cetera, et cetera. And he was, I presume he also said similar. He didn't make an embarrassment out of Erdogan, but I'm sure he was saying, look, can you please, like, back off from the northern border? We need to give Syria back to Syria. But he keeps saying the same thing, and you see it in the actions as well. Russia could send in big guns. They could send in a landing force and the same kind of military number of military forces they had at the beginning in 2015. But they quickly withdrew because the guiding ethos is always that you can't, if you, it seems to be that if you gift someone something, they'll never appreciate it. Mm -hmm. They'll never hold it. They'll quickly forget it. Mm -hmm. So I think the same principle is at work as they do in Syria. They will help, but only up to a certain point. Syrians need to rise up and fight themselves. Mm -hmm. Same here. In Ukraine, it's got to be led by, substantially, by the local militias. We'll give you weapons, we'll give you training, we'll give you satellite stuff, we'll, we'll help you shoot down drones, whatever it takes. Mm. We'll give you guns to counter the HIMARS the Americans have given to the Ukrainians. We'll make sure there's parity, mm. but you people have to lead it. You need to remember this. Yeah, well, that's If we do it for you... Yeah, well, they have. Been, but the thing is, they have been leading. The people in the, the forces in DPR and LPR have been leading actively involved. Yeah. They sent their, their. They make up most of the but, personnel huh? doing well, fighting. Well, they do now, certainly at this juncture. Yeah, but that's because most of the fighting is done in 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 the, in the DPR and LPR. You know what I mean? They're taking a break now because they've they've achieved that that goal. But um, but there are still plenty of uh, Russian troops actively involved because their 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 goal clearly is beyond the DPR and LPR, you know what I mean? You can't expect the people in DPR and LPR to extend themselves. Well, they, they will, but you can't expect them to lead uh, or, or to take to, not, to do most of the to fighting. Lead, but they said, to do most of the fighting outside they, of the DPR and LPR. They said we're going 300 kilometers beyond our border yeah. to make sure these bases aren't yeah, yeah. right next door to us. But that's Russia has to be heavily involved in that. Yes, like, of course. You yeah, know, definitely. Uh, that's what I think what the next stage would be, yeah. what would be. Um, no, but I was speaking more specifically to the fact that people are saying, like, that, you know, that complain about how throwing shade at, at, at the Russian military and, and the Russian government and stuff, saying ah, that, they, yeah. that, they, that they weren't making any progress, that it all had gone wrong, blah, blah, blah. Well, they don't recognize, they don't understand that key fact, that, which is a key part of it that's covered up, which is that the U.S. provoked this war by arming, training, and funding uh, a, a, a capable, large Ukrainian military for the past eight years for the purpose of invading Donbass and possibly Crimea, and then giving a problem to Russia right on its border. And that's why it's taken yeah. so long, because that's where most of the that's that's where their where their their job was focused, because that's where the Ukrainian most of the Ukrainian the well trained Ukrainian military has been has been dug in, well entrenched, along the the the, the contact line in, in eastern Ukraine. Um, 
so it's it's just I don't even know why I address it. It's just stupid, but I feel I have to address it because there's so such a level of ignorance yeah, on I, social I, media. But but we could not, not just in social media in the Western government as well. Like, but they're lying. We'd have a news reel running like 365 days a year, just dealing with the bullshit. The bullshit. So yeah. I try and like pick out what has actually happened. So another interesting part of the discussions in Tehran was to agree a deal, which was signed off when Erdogan arrived home in Istanbul between. Shoigu was there to sign it, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Well, that, that, was that was the green deal, appointed, right? Appointed reference to this is a, this is as much a defence military agreement that, as it is uh, agricultural, because you know it's presented uh-huh. as opening up the ports for the delivery of grain, right? And it was the it was the Ukrainian agriculture minister who signed the agreement, and the Russian defence minister, minister who signed it. Yeah, um, specifically three ports, all of them basically in in and around Odessa. Uh, less than 24 hours later, yeah. there's massive military strikes. Well, massive caliber well, missiles, long-distance sea-based missile launchers against missiles, the, yeah. the port in Odessa. Yeah. Of course, the From screamers ships, yeah. in the West go, there, you see, you can't trust Russians. Mm-hmm. They sign something and then they come and stab you in the back. Mm-hmm. So um, I have to admit, it does look like it doesn't look, it doesn't look like Russia doing its part to, quote, guarantee the safety of the port in Odessa. But they did claim, well, for what it's worth, the Russian MOD has since said, well, what we targeted at the port were... Yeah, were boats, were ships. Uh, uh, yeah, specifically the, the military boats that are used for launching America's harpoon missiles. They never countered it. But when the Americans boasted that they sunk the Moskva, mm-hmm. the, the Russian flagship, mm-hmm. with harpoon missiles... That's that's part of the messaging here. They they claim that one of them was a warehouse at the port in Odessa mm-hmm. that housed mm-hmm. these damn things. Mm-hmm. So that's what blew up. So they said, well, the letter of the law was, well, we're going to do our part to guarantee the, the, the trans- safety, the, the cargo, but we never said anything about stopping. No, of course, yeah. military no, but of so. course they wouldn't. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I wonder, in fact, if they preemptively, if they did that preemptively, because maybe. I would imagine that the powers that be would have tried to nix this deal in some way uh, by creating something Mm -hmm. that forced Russia to do something else at Odessa or near Odessa, which they could go, look, see, Russia, bad, doesn't doesn't hold up. It's it's trying to starve the world. You know, Putin's trying to create global famine, blah, blah, blah. So the attack may have been actually preemptive against some provocation. Yeah. To stop to stop the West, the Ukrainians uh, at, at the behest of the West, to uh, stop them from uh, maybe uh, firing a missile, blowing up a grain ship as it leaves uh, Odessa port. Well, there, you, think that's, you think that that's beyond them, or definitely, uh, definitely, you know what I mean? not at all. Cards. I um, I have a video. We won't show it. It's, it's actually from a month ago. Um, uh, a citizen journalist was in Lugansk, so it's Lugansk that's been liberated by. But it's now, you know, free for journalists to go around and inspect. And she's like this huge grain silo site mm-hmm. that locals say was firebombed by the Yukis on their way out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. that kind of sabotage was going on for sure. Um, uh, the HIMARS thing, you know, the Russians claimed that four back up. The U.S. made a big show of sending 12 of these super special long range multiple rocket launch systems which indeed they started using probably mostly on civilians, but they did a claim to have targeted actual ammunition depots behind the Russian line. Um, the Russians claim to have taken out a third of them mm-hmm. within 10 days, mm-hmm. four of these $100 Eight. million dollar launch systems each. Uh, 
depending on response, early last week was, no, Russian propaganda. Late last week, they quietly made another announcement that they're sending four more more to Ukraine in another $100 million Mm -hmm. Ukraine aid package, Mm -hmm. thereby in their actions, falsifying their BS Mm. and actually giving credit to the Russian report. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, but it's all grist for the mill, you know. That's more more taxpayers' money to uh, defence contractors, you know. The more Russia blows up, the richer defence contractors get. Zelensky hasn't got long. Um, it's definitely last days of Berlin in, in Kiev. He fires the head of the Ukrainian equivalent of the CIA and the top lawman prosecutor. And then backtracks Quote, and says, no, they were just... treason. They were just... But then he backtracked and said they were just suspended. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, hear yeah. that update. Yeah, there was a backtrack, yeah. So, but that's, that's even that's not good, you know. Uh, it, it shows that there's chaos reigning in the. It's all gone wrong, um, which is which was to be expected, you know. Um, it was always going to happen. Um, oh, other small update: the the Yuki's bombed Europe's largest largest nuclear power station last week. You know. Yeah. Uh, crickets in the media. Forget and just in case people were were wondering. Um, the CIA chief has said... The CIA chief says no intelligence that Putin is in bad health <laughs> from three days ago. Despite the fact that for the past four months, they've been saying exactly the opposite. <clears throat> but whatever. If you want to believe the propaganda, go ahead. It's... Uh, yeah. It's, well, it's interesting that they have to update it now that he's left the fortress, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Because he had to leave, so, oh, he seems to be... seems to be well enough to fly to Iran, so, uh, well, whatever... Um, One of the things that the U.S. is about to send hundreds of to the Ukraine is so-called kamikaze drones. It's kamikaze drones that they directed at the uh, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, like I said, Europe's largest. This was in the news in March because there was a firefight there when the Russians tried to take it. And, of course, it was spun as... Careless, feckless Russians try to set off another Chernobyl by blowing up Europe's largest power station. And the truth gradually more or less came out. No, actually, they tried to protect and the others just willy-nilly fired at it. Mm-hmm. Well, now, it's like, it's like it, didn't even, it, didn't, it didn't create a news cycle. Uh, it would have normally been the latest butcher, but because it was so quickly, obviously, the case that it was the Ukrainian side who attacked it, um, it had to go away. They, they had to bury it. The Guardian's reporting on it is insane. Like because it's still in, still under civilian control, the same managers who were running it before, he gives a press conference, but now they're obliged to cite him on what he said. He said it's all right. Uh, some of our staff were injured. They didn't actually hit any reactor. Radiation levels are normal. He's just giving it what you would expect, but because he's the civilian manager of Europe's largest nuclear power station. Under occupied territory, they insinuate constantly that he's being forced, he's to, being say forced that. to say all these yeah, things. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, it's pathetic. So much confirmation bias. Um, uh, Putin this week said um, the world order they're creating is totalitarian. Yeah, we know that. Um, and he predicts revolutionary changes in the West in the coming years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, here's an example of uh, how the U.S. military is um, gearing up for some revolutionary changes. Just to play that. These are U.S. military exercises. 
Troops with their iron blanks in a kind of mock village. I wonder what they're training for. Could be anything, really, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be. That could be anywhere. Like, it's just a nondescript urban, urban area, right? A nondescript house. Oh. That. I don't recognize that picture. Do you recognize that name? No. You don't? It's too far away, I can't see it. Ah, the young, young dynasty. I suppose it's not that it's not uh, I think that yeah there's um Damien yeah that's enough wow yeah I don't think you can infer that that's specifically for North Korea no at their training centres they're uh, going to have faces of Putin all of them shooting pictures lined up you yeah know. but uh it just shows you what, well what part of the world they're in. That let's say it's not. Uh, they're trying to. They're doing mock-ups of. Uh, well, they always did that, right? That was always their agenda. It was either the Middle East or, or somewhere in Asia, right? Um, I, I think it could be Russia. The way the Brits are talking, mm. they want a full square, full-scale ground war in Europe. Yeah, right. Man to man, mano mano mano, Russia w- against NATO. Yeah, well, they won't. They won't be fighting in Russian houses. Then they'll be fighting in their own houses. Yeah, no Probably picture, in, no in Europe, no neutral, neutral territory, which is Western Europe. Yeah, you know, yeah, because you know the Anglo-Americans never but, like to do world wars at home. Yeah, they always yeah. do it. It's too messy. Oh, do it in someone else's garden. Um, back to global warming, I suppose. As a last, last comment from me, anyway. This is uh, a, a, a pearl of wisdom, I suppose you might call it, from. Our old friend Al Gore, Mr. Hot Air, Global Warming himself. You know, the climate deniers uh, uh, are really in some ways similar to all of those uh, almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas, who were waiting outside an unlocked door uh, while the children were being massacred. They heard the screams, they heard the gunshots, and uh, nobody stepped forward. And God bless those families who've suffered so much. And law enforcement officials tell us that's not typical of what uh, law enforcement usually does. And confronted with this global emergency, what we're doing with our inaction and failing to walk through the door and stop the killing uh, is not typical of what we are capable of as human beings. Mm. So the question is, how many children did you kill today through not taking any action on global warming? Me? Yes, you, you personally, yeah. I'm sure, well, that suggests that at least a few. Like, Well, I'd never thought about it until Al Gore prompted well, me. Well, you to. should. Now yeah. I'm going to have to do some soul searching. I think you should. Um, and Damien as well should think about it. 
maybe I'll get a calculator out because together I can estimate how many twice as many I killed twice as many children yeah. just standing at the door what waiting letting people die yeah because of because uh, you don't because you're not driving an electric car basically if you're driving an electric car you wouldn't be killing so many children or maybe I should be owning a a multi million dollar beachfront home like Al Gore has then I would be killing less children. No, no, that doesn't help. But that's what he does. I know, but do what he says. Oh, not what he does. Okay. Um, Come on, Neil. You know this. You know he's worth $350 million, personal wealth. Investing in green energy. Uh, yeah. Green tech. Yeah. He's not a billionaire, but he's No vested interest. Yeah. No vested interest whatsoever in creepy Al Gore. Anyway. It's a creepy comparison. Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's probably... It's up there with the with the apocalypse, you know. It's up there with like, it, well, it's said in a kind of deadpan, kind of like, yeah, you know, he's kind uh, of saying you're a pe- you're a pedophile, fatherly way type thing. He's basically saying that it's it's the same, like like massacring children is the same as taking no action on climate change. Yep, seems reasonable. It's not an extremist point of view at all. These people are not extremists. They're not irrational. They're not nuts. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks, unless you've got anything else. Neil, do you have anything else? Any more uh, pearls, of, pearls of wisdom, just like Al Gore Well, there? I've got a question. Does Biden have cancer or COVID? He's got everything. Or both? He's not sure. He'll let you know. Isn't it like, yeah. He'll, he, he'll figure it out. Or his hand, his, his, his Can you imagine if Trump had less left that he had cancer? Yeah. But when Biden does it, I think, it's not the conspiracy, but... Everyone, supporters and op- opponents, kind of let it slide because they know he's got dementia. <laughs> yeah, but they're not well, allowed to say that. No, you're allowed to say that. Yeah, people on Twitter have been saying that. Oh, don't worry about that. That's just a mistake because of his dementia. It's right. like, okay, can we talk about dementia now? No, dementia is normal. He's eighty years old. Of course, he's got dementia. Don't they tried to impeach After Trump on the basis that he was unfit. There's, there's a clause, you yeah. know, if the, if the health is compromised, yeah. they shouldn't lead. Yeah, it's, but because it's, if he has dementia, he can't be president. Right. So they're trapped in this. Yeah, they're trapped for sure. Uh, yeah, okay. I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. It's nearly been two hours, but I'm always trying to keep it under two hours. Um, yeah. Thanks for okay. watching, listening, reading, commenting. We have any awesome comments, Damien? No, you weren't watching them, were you? You weren't reading the comments. Yeah, they're they're great. They're great. That's it. Just see them. Yep. Not, no, none of them worth uh, none of them worth exposing. Well, well, there's a lot of them. There's too many, <laughs> too many, too too many quality comments. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, thanks for thanks for the commenters because yeah, apparently commenting is good on our videos because um, algorithms. And um, don't forget to like and smash all the buttons, or whatever, because uh, that's good too. And yeah, we'll be back next week with another show. Um, until then. Have a good week and stay sane. Don't stay safe. Stay sane. See you next week. See Bye, ya. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.